Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Started Up Podcast, Crucial Conversations. We got a morning edition going on. Jamal, good morning. Good morning, sir. So we couldn't record last night because switched over to, I finally made the crossover, got an iPhone. Oh, boy. Yay! Yeah, I know. I was <laughs> laughing. Some people I messaged and their message back was, wait, it's blue. Yeah. 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 We know that 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 blue light baby <laughs> so it finally set things up yeah I, I spent way too much time last night converting my digital life over um finally got on clubhouse saw that you beat me there congrats yeah um it's funny though because i had <laughs> i had 20 invites uh yeah so anyway got that over but um, the one thing I was wanting to, I, I got last night is that uh, I also got my Audible app and got that back installed and wanted to, wanted to circle back to the book that you recommended to me. Actually, I think it wasn't when we were on air and we talked about it already a little bit. We alluded to it. Um, but the what was it called? The Courage to be Disliked? Yeah, The Courage to be Disliked. The Courage to be Disliked. Um, yeah. Let's circle back to that. By the way, who recommended that to you? Man, I was I was at a very if nobody. Um, I was sc- scrolling through just leadership books, and uh, I was uh, it was my time when I was a principal at the private school, and I was just dealing with staff relations, and I was um, overly anxious about making any decision. I actually felt like the decisions that I made had to be perfect the first time, which is unrealistic. If you feel that way, just throw that stuff out the window because practice drives theory. But I was looking for different books. Um, I read The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Bleep first, and then I stumbled upon The Courage to Be Disliked. And I was like, man, I I need The Courage to Be Disliked. Uh, So I just kind of found it in the dark archives of Audible. Ichiro Kishimi. Um, yeah. So for, for those of you that want to listen to it, I, by the way, I I liked it as an audio book. I did not read it because it, it plays as a conversation. Um, and the voice actor they got for the, for the person that is a millennial sounds exactly like a millennial. Um, I mean that in the nicest of ways, kind of, um, but no, it's, it's, it's this book of, of a youngster that absolutely wants to debate and destroy this guy's theory. And there's some things in there that don't set well, but they're okay. That book's okay with it not setting well. Um, right. I think. I, I think. I think. Just even getting into the, the the concept, I guess, before we get into the bulk of our thing, the hardest thing in leadership, especially when you've always been good and you've just obtained a leadership position or you've moved higher into another realm of leadership where it requires you to make more decisions you really have to be okay with people not liking you because you're going to make some unpopular decisions well one of the things that yeah i i'm not going to ruin the book but when they talked about the fact that there is no trauma that you have control over it and you kind of play to your strengths. Can you go over that real quick? Yeah. So uh, there, there's a, I'll frame it in my own phraseology. 
a lot of times we we think that the things that we have gone through are the things that um, are barriers to us. Um, specifically, I know in educational circles, we talk about trauma and home life of the kids. And when they come to school, we have to be mindful of those things. Yeah, you have to be mindful of, of the the things that someone has experienced. But a lot of times, especially if you, if you work at a Title I school, you, you're probably doing this. Um, and I'm going to speak from the perspective of a leader than the perspective of a student. When those kids come to school, you feel so much empathy that it turns into pity for them. And then what you do is you lower the expectation for, for them to operate in society. So because I come from a messed up home life and my mom and my dad are not there and I have all of these different factors, when I come to school, I'll let, I'll let Kevon sleep. I'll let Sally sleep, sleep in the class because you know that's, that's what they need the most. Well, no, that's not what they need the most. They need to be held to the expectation of the learning environment. That's what they need the most. During that time, they can sleep at recess. They can do a lot of different things. But what we do is we, we take trauma and adults do it. We take trauma and we use it as almost like this defense mechanism. And as I was reading through that part of the book, I remember my, my mom and I used to do it as, as a student. I would go, I would go to school. And I would tell my story to my new teachers. Hey, I'm struggling with X, Y, and Z because I had learned early on that if I gave them all of these barriers and all of these things that I was going through, their, their empathy always turned into pity. And it put me in a position to where I could turn in homework late. I had one teacher, um, Lord, Lord bless her heart, the greatest English teacher on the planet, but um, I mean, if you, you if you pass freshman uh, English class in, in the state of Florida in high school, it's the same as sophomore, like nothing changes. It's just really preparing you for the same exact test. So I, once I figured that out, I would stay up late and I, you know, I'd ride my bike to school and I gave her my sob story and I told her, hey, I'm gonna fall asleep in your class sometimes because my home life is just terrible. Um, and she let me sleep. She would let me sleep. Uh, through her classes as long as I was able to complete the work. So I would do do the work at home and I would sleep first period so I can stay up late doing whatever it is that I wanted to do. What I needed in that moment was somebody to say, well, it's cool that you're going through all that stuff at home, I understand, but I'm not going to let you sleep in my class because you can't go to work and sleep. That's a really great point because um, uh, Full disclosure, I did not have a, a trauma-filled childhood. It was, you know, two loving parents that made sure that actually <laughs> my mom held me accountable to every step of the way, which was great, which was great. But you, you're right. The um, From my perspective, that's exactly what I saw. Now, I had one of my daughters listen to it and she was like, I don't know, man because she was like talking about the mental health side. And, you know, there's some people that have from a very early childhood age and, and, you know, like you should, you should give them a break. And I'm like, well, is giving them a break <laughs> them a step ahead in the world? I mean, like, I like your point of like empathy is like saying, Oh, I, I understand what you're going through. Here's though the standard I want to hold you to. Right. Because like, and, and, and I, and I mean this lovingly, but, people take victimization to new heights 
And I've yeah. seen people make careers out of it, of being a well, professional victim. You could never understand because I could never, and you could never, and how dare you? And so um, when you become a professional victim, you build this great barrier saying, you can't hold me to any standard, but I can judge you on yours. I had a student one time when I, when I first started teaching, because I had a coach say the most brilliant things. <laughs> he came out there and, and I, don't, I don't know if he was reading, reading the same books we were reading, but my man uh, said, I'm tired of y'all failing these tests. And he says, and y'all are coming into my office and y'all are saying that y'all are bad test takers. He says, BS. He says, y'all ain't no bad test takers. You just don't know the answers. He says, if you knew the answers, you wouldn't have any anxiety. He says, so study harder, right? So I get in my little classroom with my little scientific self and I tell that same story to my kids. I said, the problem with these tests are, y'all just don't know the answers. There ain't no such thing as test anxiety. You just don't know the answers. Well, I had a student in that class that heard that message, went home and told her parents about what I had said. The parents called me back and was like, my daughter has test anxiety. I don't appreciate you saying that she just doesn't know the answers. And I was, and I, and you know, I was first year teacher. So I, let's have this conversation. Um, I said, um, I said, does she have a, I said, if I asked her the, the, her name and that was a test, would she be able to pass that test? Absolutely. She knows her name. Would she feel any anxiety about, uh, about putting her name on the test? Well, well, no. Um, what, what if I asked her, her student number, her lunch number, like just these basic questions about herself. And she was like, well, no, I said, well, because she knows that information. I said, wouldn't that same thing apply if she knew the information for the test you don't understand she has test anxiety the kid came back the next day and was like I don't appreciate I guess her mom kind of gave her a rundown of what to say to me and how to make sure that she had all this protection so that way she could fail my test and I would still give her a good grade but I wasn't going to do that because you can't make me do that but she was like, you don't understand. I have test anxiety and I get upset. And when the test gets in front of me, I just don't remember any, any of the information. Well, after this major blow up, I held the line. I was like, you're gonna have to take these tests and we're gonna prep you for it. Um, we're, gonna, we're gonna go through the, the talking mechanisms. Homegirl ended up crushing every test I ever put in front of her. And she ended up thanking me at the end of the school year for, for not allowing her to have that excuse. But yeah. it's, it's our perception of what we cannot do. Well, I say trauma sometimes becomes the perception of what we cannot do because of our situation. But if you, really sit, if you really sit down and think about the world around you and you ask yourself this question, what is really stopping you from doing whatever it is that you want to do? Yeah. And the answer is always nothing. Yeah. Well, I, I, quoting Steve Sims, you, you don't drown from falling in water. You drown from staying there too long. And yeah. when, when, when you have like, and again, I always feel like I have to backpedal because I, I you know, I had, I, I just, you know, I've had some health trauma in my life, mm -hmm. but I, I, I haven't had like trauma, trauma, emotional trauma. That being said, when you are, 
when you have some sort of a, and, and I, here we go again, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, when you have an excuse, you can use it as your shiny object of gold. But if that's your object of gold, you were telling yourself, I, I cannot ever live up to expectations. And even if something did happen to my, my dad was mean to me, or I was abused. Like at, at what point do you say, okay, now I have to, now I have to move on. Because again, you're not going to drown. If you fall into the water, you're drowned if you stay there. So if you're just like, I could never get ahead in this world. You know, you know, whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. Right. And, and then, if you tell yourself the world's against me, I can never get ahead in this world. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's the answer. Mm-hmm. You're done. And, and, yeah. and, and uh, you know, oh, well, you know, I can never talk to women because my mom uh, was abusive and, and my sisters were mean to me and my first girlfriend broke up with me and I can never talk to women. Okay. So the answer is that's it. Yeah. You're done. Yep. You good? Okay. Because mm-hmm. and that's bleak. Mm-hmm. And, and, and uh, you know, so when I was first starting to listen to that book, my first reaction was no trauma. Oh my gosh, this is madness. But they start showing that you have choice in the matter and, and that you have control over things. When you say that you don't have control, that's just you trying to ironically have control over the situation that you can't control. Is that, I remember he says, uh, he says, well, you know, when anger arises, I just couldn't help myself. He's like, you know, I, you know, I was in a, I was in a restaurant the other day and the waiter bumped into me and, and spilled a drink all over my new jacket. And I just yelled at him and he says, and I couldn't help it that I just, you know, cussed him out. And he says, you couldn't help it. He says, no. He says, so had you had a knife there, could you have, would you have stabbed him? Well, no, I wouldn't have had done that. He's oh, so you can control it. Yep. Like you're just already in your mind judging what you want your reaction to be. Because if the one reaction was I had a gun or a knife, I'm not going to use it. And and, and I think that that's, you know, the people play to their strengths. So if their strength and 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 little Jamal played to his strength, I don't feel like doing my homework today. Hey, hey, had a bad night. Yep. I'm I'm cool, right? You're playing to your strengths. Yeah. And, 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 and so whether, you know, I, and, Boy, Jamal and I have empathy. We don't have pity. Yeah, I, I just, I just, I can't, I can't look at a child in the school and say, "Hey, man, you don't, you don't have to because of your situation at home. You don't have to do the the things that the that are required of you here." Because mm-hmm. what that does is that that sends a terrible message, or I said that trains that child to learn helplessness if, if, as long as I have this excuse. I remember kids used to walk into my class and when I first started teaching and I would give them a work, they would smile at me and say, I don't understand. And I'd be like, what don't you understand? I don't understand. And they would like literally lay their head down because I, I taught a Fuse class. And for those of you who know what Fuse is, I say it all the time, it's a, a, a class where you have you know students with IEPs and students without IEPs and there's two teachers in the classroom and typically the students with the IEPs and uh, individual education plan is ESE um, special ed they um, would raise their hand and say I don't understand and typically what I learned was they'd be like the, the teachers in, in past years would either give them something easier or take it completely away give them an accommodation and pass them along well I wasn't going to do that um, because, because I felt obligated to watch this, teach them how to work through their trauma. Yes. As opposed to saying, well, I, I recognize. I Thank recognize you. Re- please repeat that again for the people of time. 
teach them <laughs> how to work through their trauma. I had to be taught how to work through my trauma. Man, I, I was talking to my football coach in high school, just thanking him the other day for everything that he did. You know, I got, I, I, I've done a couple things in my life and I haven't really caught up with them. And I was telling him how much I appreciated him and the fact that just the things that he taught me, but I was retelling him the story. I said, you remember the time where I came to football and I was trying to like boast like, hey, I was telling somebody the story and you know, it was about, you know, not having excuses. But the story goes, I'm riding my bike to football practice. I live in a, another school zone, which is six miles. Um, but I'm not supposed to be going to the school that I'm going to. I'm riding my bike, all my trauma, right? <laughs> and I'm riding my bike. And in the middle, and right in the middle, I get to the midway point, And I guess, I don't know what happened to my chain. It pops off the bike. And I literally face dive into the concrete. So I got a scrape on my face, a scrape on my arm and some scrapes on my legs. And like, you know, concrete is unforgiving. So they were like these red patches of just blood boiling up. So I ride my bike. I, I get up. I'm halfway there. I can either go back home or I can go to workout. But e either way, it's going to take me the same amount of time. So I just I went to the workout. And as soon as I got there, he looks at me and he says, why are you late? <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? Why am I late? Um, you don't see what I look like. He's and and he didn't he didn't care about none of that. He made me work out. I was gonna work out anyway, but he 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 worked. He, I worked out with the blood. I spilled some blood. He had some people follow me around, clean it up. At the end, he bandaged it he bandaged it up and and said, "Go home." But he but he helped me to the the standard of the weight room that day. And that day, it helped me grow a little bit more. Now. That's a real tough lesson, but what it taught me was there's going to be times in life where you fall down in the middle of, of your journey and you still have to get up and be on time. So work through trauma. Go ahead. No, no, I, I like that because you know when when you you develop trust by telling people what they need to know, not what they want to hear, and 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 I've seen. Um, a lot of things masked as um, repeat that. Don't repeat What's that. that? Fine. You 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 went uh, silent there for a second. Oh no! I I I said we establish trust by telling people what they need to hear, not necessarily what they want to hear. You establish trust by telling people that you're going to hold them to an expectation. Now, can you have empathy? Yes, but to your point. Your coach was like, that's cool. You're still late. Get in here. Well, can't you see that I'm, that I've gone through something? No, nope. And, and, and I think that again, we're, we're such in a, we're now in a, in a shame culture of if you don't understand every single person's identity and everything that like you, we can't go on until we acknowledge everybody's, you know, personal story and everything else. Well, in the meantime, the world's moving on. And, and, and like, you can either hold a person to an expectation and say, let's get on, let's get on this rocket ship, or let's all wait around and hear about everybody's trauma. It's nice to, it's nice to acknowledge it. Right. But, but when you said that your coach and, and your teachers and everybody else, like the people that held you to an expectation, you appreciated the people that allowed you to sleep. You, I mean, you, you thought that was cool, but I don't think you respected that. 
No. She just thought I'm be, I'm manipulating you, and that's awesome. And I'm and everybody loves to have power. You had power over that situation, but the person that didn't give you power and said, "Uh, uh-uh, uh, you can earn it," is yeah. the one that is the one that won. It, that's that's the person I still call to this day. So yeah. I, I guess I guess when you when you look at when you look at everything, there's a lot of research on you know dealing with trauma at a school, and you know most of those PDs it almost trains you to to pity as opposed to having tangible things to help students work through the trauma. Hey, if a student is hungry, here's what we do at schools. A student will be starving and they'll come to school and they'll say, well, I haven't eaten anything. As a, We'll tell that kid to lay down, to do everything else, but sometimes give that kid extra food at lunch. Like that's, that's helping that kid work through trauma. If they're just hungry, Man, give them extra food. Send them home with some extra food. F- figure out a way to help help your students and support their needs. But in no way, shape, or form do we say, well, he didn't eat today. He's going to have a bad day or she's going to have a bad day because she didn't eat. So I'm just going to let her go down to the main office or sleep in the back of the class. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't move don't move to pity. And a lot of times as leaders, we do the same thing for, for the people that we lead. I mean, it, it, it just goes, like, is you a leader at a school or wherever you are, the people that follow you or not follow you, the people that you are leading, that essentially becomes your classroom. And you have to look at adults in the face and say sometimes, well, I understand that you feel that way and this, this is happening to you and COVID is taking over and we have all these things that we can't do, but we don't control that. What do you control? Yeah. And you have to be okay in your own skin and saying like, yeah, hey, that's okay. <laughs> I'm okay with you not liking my decision, but we're going to do what's right for our organization ultimately. Yeah. And by doing what's right for our organization means that I am going to do right by you, but you need to do right by the organization. Right. And, 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 it, and it comes full circle because here at the end of the day, you don't have to be a part of this organization. I say it all the time to teachers and educators. Man, I had an application in at Wawa. Wawa is a gas station that serves delicious, delicious subs and other food. You can go get some gas and you can go get a full lunch or dinner. It just depends on what, you, what you're in the mood for that day. Mm-hmm. However, I, I, I had an application in at Wawa. It was, it was, it was either I was going to start a career at Wawa or I was going to continue in education. Um, I had a I had a choice. My choice was at the time that I gave myself was go to Wawa and make sure that all the Kit Kats are in the right spot or continue with education and deal with all, all of the things and, and progress my career. Well, it's I, I chose education, but I had a choice in the matter. The things that I didn't like, I could I could have left education. If I don't like my job, I can go somewhere else. If I don't like the things that that are happening, I have choice in the matter. And because you have choice, the only time, the only time that 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 trauma really is, it puts you in a situation um, to where to where you you can't do is when you literally can't do or you literally have no choice. To the person that's paralyzed, they can't walk, but they can still get up some stairs if if they really desire to. But walking is out of the equation. I'm not going to say you go run a marathon um, with your legs because that's you physically cannot do those things. And there are some things that are just naturally impossible. I'm not saying that 
that we we disregard those things and still hold people to a standard because some people physically can't do some things. Um, but if you have choice and trauma, I encourage you to exercise your choice as opposed to clinging on to your trauma. Yes. And as the leaders, also those conversations that Jamal was talking about and, and not conversations for them to dissuade or manipulate you. I, I think that that's where our personality difference is, is like, I love, like, you're really good about holding the line because you have assessed the situation and you're like, nope, this is right. I am uh, a little bit more of an emotional person. And a lot of times I can tell, I, sometimes it's too late, but I can tell when I'm being manipulated. They're like, man, Don, here's the thing. And here's the excuse. And I could never do. And then my default setting is go, oh man, I was like, I, I, I used to, <laughs> well, never, I'm not going to get my pass. I, I used to have a, a position where I used to have to, uh, well, okay. I, I used to be a landlord. I had two rental homes um, and I was the world's worst landlord because if you told me that times were tough and you couldn't pay, I went, okay. And, you know, I was by no means rich. I was just, uh, I was losing money every month. And, and so when you told me these things, I felt bad. And I, well, that wasn't the right thing for me or my family or for them. And same thing with, with, with you know, if you're a principal, if, you know, whatever organization you may have leadership roles in, a, a conversation to understand them is one thing. A conversation for them to give you excuse on they can never perform is not another. Right. You can listen with empathy but you eventually, you know, that courage to be disliked. If they walk away going, well, you're, you're just being mean or you don't understand me or my identity or my trauma. Oh, I understand. And I, I don't, you know, that's terrible. But play out this rest of the scenario. If, you're, right. if, you're, if your thing is my trauma will never allow me to do this, well, then I can't hire you to do that if you're saying that you never can. Right. Thank you. Good day. Yeah. Also, what you, you have to start doing, especially with adults, even with all people, is once once someone presents you their their trauma or their or their problem as to why they can't do something, you, you say, okay, that's that's fantastic. What do you think we should do to still meet our goal? Or how can we meet our goal? And just be quiet. Because that communicates that I still expect us to do what it is that we need to do, despite all of these things. Because if you don't have an option as a leader, then the people who you lead don't have an option either to, to not get the job done is what I'm talking about. There's always choices. So the person is either going to figure out a plan within themselves or they're, or they're not going to do the job. And then that's a completely different conversation. But I think that question, 90% of the time, in, in my experience, my short experience as a leader, has always, people have come back and said, well, I guess we can do this. I guess we can do that. Hey, man, that's, per that's powerful. Let, let's go forward. Let's do this. What resources do you need? Yeah. It changes the conversation. I'm, I'm, it changes the conversation. I understand all those things are factors. If we know all of that, what are we going to do to overcome it? Yep. Yeah. Well, but when you give them that option, or if you're like, I've heard you now, what is your suggestion? What is your solution? Because if you do, if you, if you let them know, like, okay, so where do we go from here? 
I've, I've heard, I've heard your reasons. Now, where do we go? And, and they have to come up with something. So very good. Uh, excellent episode. I like that. So, uh, again, the, if, if you're interested, uh, the power to be disliked, check it out. Jamal and I may, you know, we'll have to start scheduling some things on clubhouse. Jamal, we can, uh, we can do some, uh, sometimes we, we get in in the evening. Maybe we can do a, a clubhouse or two on some of these. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's do one. Yeah. I think my handle on that, if that's a thing, is at Don Wetrick. Yeah. So are you Jamal Crook? Is that just it? Jamal Crook, you have to use your real name, don't you? Jamal Crook. Yeah. Yeah. You do. Clubhouse. Yeah. All right. Well, for Jamal Crook, it's Don Wetrick reminding you there's opportunities are everywhere, even when you're disliked. We'll see you.